Hmm, he's hot. Fuck, look at those abs. Oh, that is one really hot ass. Oh shit, I was looking at Instagram. Are we starting? Welcome to the Living Out Podcast. I'm your host, Darren Steele, where queer thought leadership meets personal growth and social justice. Now, as a coach, I work with gay men to help them live out their unique and vital role in society to lead others in creating a more evolved and humane world. So how's that for an opening to today's episode? Well, after I did all my usual stuff this morning, journaling, meditation, working out, coming home, having breakfast, I was catching up on some news and I came across a tweet and it was liked by somebody else I follow and I was frustrated by what I read and I'll read it. And the, the tweet is about all these so-called Instagram thirst traps, whether they be uh, men or women, gay or straight. But in this particular inst- instance, we're looking at gay thirst traps. So these beautiful male bodies, usually young, late teens or very early 20s, capitalizing on, you know, <laughs> nature's gift to men, testosterone, um, and workout culture. And more often than not, it's white men. It's not so often people of color. And it's usually a muscular body, including a six-pack. So sort of the, the epitome of what could be put in uh, br- uh, quotation marks, the gym physique, the athletic, the muscular physique, ripped pecs, six or eight pack abdominals kind of thing. So this tweet is by somebody by the name of Carlos Maza, who uh, has the uh, Twitter handle Gay Wonk. And he writes, gay thirst trap accounts are a menace. They prey on our worst insecurities and taunt us with highly unrealistic body expectations. Modern queer liberation means unfollowing and preemptively blocking these fucking ghouls. And he's referring to an article called Our Sexy Gay Instagram Accounts Fueling Disordered Eating on NBC News. And I'm going to be delving into that shortly. So first of all, my reaction to what he wrote was, what a fucking bunch of shit. And I'm going to qualify that because if you agree with what he said, you're going to be like, Darren, what the hell are you saying? First of all, it's the way in which he's choosing to say it. And maybe he's trying to get people to react and come in and, and, and speak on his tweet. And that makes total sense. You know, we're kind of using language in a way that's kind of clickbaity, meaning it's like, oh, I'm going to say something provocative. I do the same thing, right? So there's a time and a place for it. But what I see when I go further down through more things that he um, tweets in this thread and that some other people start um, saying, and I honestly didn't scroll too far down because I wanted to take sort of the original uh, impetus or the feeling behind what he was expressing. Um, there's, he's not taking responsibility for his own actions. And I'm going to get into really, that's the heart of what I want to talk about here. Uh, and the larger question is this, is Instagram to blame for thirst traps or those who follow the thirst traps? Open question, but we are going to come to a conclusion at an end. I, at the end of this, I promise. So, uh, 
Maza further says, you know, being mad at yourself for following these thirst trap Instagram accounts is like being mad at yourself for being influenced by commercials. The product is designed to profit off your weakness. Take your power back. Block these fucking ghouls. And then further down, we should think of gay Instagram thirst trappers the same way we think of alcohol and cigarette companies that advertise to gay men, predators who take advantage of our insecurities to make a profit even at the expense of our physical and emotional health. Well, is there truth to some of what he is saying? Absolutely. We all know how advertising works. It seeks to hit triggers and emotional responses to make us buy. Um... I did a webinar last year and I studied up on the psychology of how to deliver a webinar in a certain way that creates more influence. There were certain aspects of it that made me very uncomfortable. But what I saw in in doing this research was how you can build up a story structure and particular kind of language to get someone very excited about something to get them to buy in. Now, we all have to decide whether that's the way in which we want to sell anything, ourselves or a product. But the nature of advertising is to sell, right? This is a corporate, a capitalist economy where people are trying to sell things, and they're always pushing buttons in different ways. But backing up from that, there is self-awareness. There is self-talk. There is deciding when or how often one is going to uh, observe or take in media, whether that be television or Netflix or reading the news or social media, Facebook or Instagram or so on. So I think, first of all, what I want to address is, you know, modern queer liberation means unfollowing and preemptively blocking these fucking ghouls. That's bullshit. That's not what modern queer liberation is. Furthest thing from the truth. Modern queer liberation is about questioning not blocking. Blocking would be a very binary way of approaching this. It's either allowed or it's not allowed. And if you're doing that, that's kind of like a revolutionary approach. That's just saying, we're just going to take out this form of power structure and we're going to replace it eventually with something else. What we're looking here at is evolution. Evolution is creative, open. It's all over the place. It's like a web that could go in many different directions. It allows for possibility. So modern queer liberation is not about blocking Instagram. It's about influencing. It's about changing the dynamics of power. It's about questioning why we are choosing to follow particular social media accounts and what that means to you as the individual, what that means to different groups. Now, one of the things I've been really incredibly impressed by is how... Trans people are further coming out and and gender tricksters and playing with non-binary and gender identities and sexual identities. And I, I forget the person's name who, are they with Maybelline or one of the uh, makeup companies and showing up in the commercials. I think that's fantastic. Now, has there been pushback? Of course, but there will always be pushback. When we are changing dominant mindsets, uh, especially within a capitalist and patriarchal and hegemonic structure. So I've got a list of points that I want to get through here. So first of all, what is a healthy body? I spent 15 years working in health and fitness, and I have a life of experience from probably 15 years old until now, 53, 
of, you know, being in the closet, coming out and seeing how much gay body culture has changed and generally speaking, uh, body culture overall, you know, I've had the privilege to work with people of all different body types and physical ability. And nearly every person I worked with, it was about helping them get to where they wanted to go in a way that connected both with the health of their body and the health of their mind, sort of making that connection. So one person I worked with came in at about 250 pounds. A year later, he was 5'10", 5'11". A year later, he dropped 60 pounds. He was still maybe by medical measuring standards, 25 to 30 pounds overweight, but he felt so much better about himself. And he, he, he struggled with how much more he wanted to lose, and he dropped a bit more, and then he came back up to sort of a level that... With therapy, he felt comfortable with. Now, I've had experiences of being shunned in the gay community early on because I've got a bit more of a hairy body. I'm certainly not classified in the gay community as a bear because I, uh, I'm i hairy to a point, but I also trim it down. Now, I trim down my hair because that makes me feel better about myself and I prefer the look. And now, at 53, I can tell you, with all the gray hairs on my chest and abs, they really hurt when they turn back in and they're scratching your skin. So, I like the aesthetic. And I've been fortunate enough, I guess, to be fit, and I've taken care of my body. I've gone through having people tell me my body looks good to, um, in the late 80s, in the early 90s, there was a trend in the gay community where the acceptable standard was the smooth body. And I believe that was directly associated with HIV and AIDS. And porn started to feature um Models that were completely smooth shaven, like no pubic hair, no hair between the butt crack. It was as if removing hair gave an image of cleanliness and cleanliness gave this impression of somehow greater safety. And that's one of the problems we'll see people uh, using in language on, on dating apps is like looking for guys who are clean and they don't mean washed in the bathtub. They're referring to guys that don't have an STI or HIV. So that's definitely where that comes from. So when I had body hair, I was like, no, you're too hairy. Yuck. And then around, I don't know, 2001, 2002, I remember living in Toronto, being at a nightclub, coming up the stairs, and this hunk of a man stopping me in the middle of the stairs and just giving me this beautiful smile and saying, oh, you have such a sexy, hairy chest. And while I was excited and pleased and turned on and I thanked him, I I was kind of flabbergasted for the rest of the evening. And it sticks with me to this day. Why did it take a decade for someone to tell me that I looked good with a hairy chest? Just leave you with that sort of thought there for a moment. Now, I speak at length in a, a free ebook that I wrote, Seven Beneath the Skin Thoughts for Gay Men to Love Their Body and How You Can Think Differently with Healthier Thoughts. And I go through these seven key points and I'll just, I'll maybe 
just mention them briefly, that your body is not who you are, okay? You may choose to take care of your body, and good for you. You should. Your health is important, and you only have one body. And if your body breaks down, an unhealthy body affects your mind. An unhealthy mind affects your body. So when we are also physically active, we increase our endorphin levels. We keep our testosterone levels healthy and high. Uh, Our endocrine system works better, meaning you got more mojo. You simply will feel better because exercise helps clear the brain and helps enhance creativity and helps you breathe better and helps the limbic system work better and helps you sleep better and helps reduce your stress. So why would you not want to take care of your body? Look at your naked body in the mirror. This is one of the thoughts I talk about. I go to kind of do it twice in this book, is that just look at it. And and, and try and look at your body without judgment and without shame. And see it for what it is. And see it for the choices you've made, consciously or unconsciously. And take ownership, not in a sense of shame, not in a sense of self-judgment, but in a sense of what would you like to do to take care of your health? That, I think, is the key question. What would you like to do to better improve your health? Because it is okay to want to change your body. It is okay to want to exercise within the construct of the ideals of what you have, of what you think is possibly achievable, the amount of time that you have in the week to dedicate to exercise, the willingness that you have perhaps to learn more about nutrition nutrition and healthy eating and cooking. Part of the challenge that I witnessed when I was working at a high-end fitness facility in the financial district of downtown Toronto. In that environment, people are working stupid hours, 10 to 15-hour days, um, incredibly high amounts of stress. They're sitting. Is that healthy for the body and the mind? No. Do they eat out a lot and drink a lot because that's just a way of feeling better under this kind of stress? Absolutely. Does the level of stress and the release of cortisol affect weight gain? Absolutely. So we live in an age right now, an information age, that is detrimental to our health. We are not meant to have these physical body issues that we have, but the more that we live in cities and and are creating you know, a capitalist economy, the worse our bodies are going to get unless we change our mindset around how we take care of ourselves. Now, on Instagram, what we're seeing right now is a particular depiction of beauty. And there can be certainly, you know, subcategories of different depictions of beauty. And beauty and what that means changes over time. Some former king who was, you know, written about as being obese, back then, obesity in the nobility was recognized as a form of privilege because you had the money to have all the food you could consume. Well, we know now that certainly isn't very healthy, right? But it's interesting that we can see that someone overweight in a particular period of time was considered the, the epitome or the standard Now, even within the gay community, how has the image of beauty changed? Before HIV-AIDS, it was sort of like this classic American cowboy Marlboro man. You know, big head of hair, maybe a cowboy hat, 
big, thick handlebar mustache, you know, a plaid shirt, um, unbuttoned down halfway, tight, crotch-packed Levi's. And then, as I mentioned, it went into this muscular body culture in, in New York in, in the early HIV epidemic when people started working out. There was an expression, no pecs, no sex. And then um, I think it was in the 90s, Michelangelo Signorelli talks about this. A lot of gay men in the United States were moving down to Miami and South Beach to take part in the culture because they were HIV positive, but they were also taking large amounts of steroids because doctors were prescribing that because that's a way these men could retain body weight and muscle to avoid wasting one of the challenges of HIV before more drugs came along that sort of resolved all this issue. So in the mid to late 90s into the middle early 2000s, there was such a rise, I saw this in Toronto, of steroids. And I couldn't compete. So many people couldn't compete with these guys that were just ridiculous. There were so many other health and social concerns that were playing out in what people were doing to their bodies, namely taking steroids and um, going to the gym and working out like crazy, whether they were HIV positive or not. And so there was a time in the very late 90s and 2000s where sort of the catch-22 expression was, you know, the most beautiful men with the most beautiful muscular bodies are the ones who are sick, are the ones who have HIV. So what happens in our society influences a lot of what we do, but we can also make choices. And we have both personal and corporate responsibility for how we give power to ourselves or how we give our powers away. So, you know, for example, what um, Maza is saying here is, is, is completely correct about, you know, take our power back. You can block these accounts. I don't think it's right to say block these fucking ghouls because I don't think they're ghouls. I think these are just individuals that are doing what they do because they happen to have these bodies. This is what they're doing. This is their business. They're doing fitness. They are selling a dream, yes, and a lot of these young guys don't know fucking shit about how to train another person. It's just that they've got high testosterone. They're 20 years old. They've gotten lucky. They've hit the body jackpot. And they're taking money from corporate sponsorships to every third post, say, like, I enjoy this, you know, uh, fuck me up the ass protein powder uh, or whatever the hell it is, right? So when we choose to repeatedly follow and engage with a particular account, we're giving that account power, whether that be for good reason or for bad reason, right? If we speak out against something continuously, we're still giving that person power in a way as well. So for example, if the news media decided not to show up and listen to the bullshit that Donald Trump has to say, see, there you go, I'm kind of giving him power just by bringing him into this post, right? He would have less power. Now, hyperbolic language doesn't help in these situations. It's like you, you can't go into a discussion or a dialogue when somebody's shouting at you or you're having a fight, right? Saying things like gay thirst traps accounts are a menace. They're not a menace. They're a menace to you individually if you choose to follow 20 or 30 of them. And yes, there's a challenge with addiction. And yes, some of us need help with that to figure out 
how to get out of that trap. But is the individual who has the perfect body, who's 20 years old, that's posting pictures of himself a menace? Absolutely not. But we can choose as individuals to follow different people. One of the important things in making these choices going forward is knowing what you value. So if you value body diversity, you might in fact follow a couple of these thirst traps, but it'll probably be no more than you can count on one hand. You might also follow women of various body shapes that are doing things about their own body image and talking about it and blogging about it. Maybe you're following some people who are trans that are open about their gender and sexual identity expression and playing with it and having fun with it. Maybe you talk about that openly on the platforms that you are involved in. But we are not trying to create this rigid, uh, we're not trying to take things into our own control and create a revolution where we're replacing what was with something new. No, it's about this evolution. It is about looking at the possibilities and the creative expression and allow people who have a six-pack abs to display it if they want to. But certainly, we don't have to support companies that maybe are making money off our backs, as as uh, Mazza said, which is absolutely correct. You know, take case in point last year with the uh, FIFA World Cup that was happening in Russia, and Budweiser was a huge sponsor, and New York City Pride had Budweiser as a massive corporate sponsor. That's an example of a serious political um, problem. And had I been on the board with New York City Pride, I would have said, we're going to have to find a way to replace this quarter million dollars or whatever the investment is. We need to dump Budweiser to make a statement. That's what needs to happen. That's the kind of sort of corporate responsibility even yeah, that needs to happen in these kinds of situations to say what you're doing is not acceptable. Is what the individual doing on Instagram unacceptable? perhaps only to a small extent. Because the muscular male physique has been with us since ancient Greek times. It just changes in its representation. And as I've, I think, mentioned already, the problem with social media is that it works to push our buttons, to trigger us, or to positively ping I'm saying positively in the sense of how it works on our brain, not positively for us, but positively for social media, that it pings and hits these little dopamine releases. So we get these little feel good. Oh, I feel good. Oh, I feel good. Oh, somebody liked my post. Oh, somebody said something to me on Facebook. Oh, I got 10 new friends. Oh, I feel so good. I can't stop looking. I can't stop looking. And that's what social media does in this case. And that's what following too many thirst traps is going to do. Now, I follow maybe six or seven, maybe more, really hot-looking young guys on Instagram. Why? Because they look good, and I like looking at them. And because nothing's ever going to happen with them. And it's not like I'm following them or sending them messages. It's just, that's what they are. And I also look at it through the lens of everything that I'm talking about here. It's fascinating. It's absolutely fascinating to see what's happening right now. And we need to sometimes step back and get off our high horse 
and realize that calling these thirst traps the problem, calling Instagram the problem, is actually the problem. We need to reframe how we are going to handle ourselves first in relation to all of this. And this starts with our minds and our mindsets and how we look at things. Now, I this isn't perfectly connected, but I wrote a post just a week ago called Your Relationship with Your Mind, the Ego, and the Other, which is a way to help you change the structure of your self-criticism. And this can be a useful uh, sort of launch point to look at how do we think in our minds when we talk to ourselves, especially if we're looking at a thirst trap. And if you can't get out of, if you can't change the negative self-talk that you make in your mind about who you are when you're looking at these thirst traps, then you definitely need to unfollow them. That doesn't make the thirst trap itself bad. The behavior is a challenge. The behavior isn't bad. The behavior that um, following the thirst traps is resulting in is challenging your mental and physical health. Now, if you need help, absolutely get help. Disordered eating, if this is something that comes as a result of, of you know, trying to attain a body that might be really almost impossible for you, disordered eating describes many types of abnormal eating behaviors. And it doesn't necessarily mean that's clinical or medical or or a true eating disorder. But if you need help, seek help. It's out there. And finally, the post I did or the episode I did the other day, what holds you back versus what you want more. I was talking about sometimes these very small habits, which we might call bad habits, that maybe we've been doing for years or decades that uh, result in behaviors that aren't serving us. And what are these things that we repeatedly do that are holding us back from something we want to accomplish or getting over something? And I talked honestly about Grindr as an app and, and all of the challenges that brings up in me. And I mentioned this because the app... Grinder is not the problem, just like Instagram is not the problem, just like the individual thirst traps are not the problem. Instead, it's my patterns of behavior. This is why we have to take responsibility for ourselves. It's my patterns of behaviors that come out when I use the app. Now, that requires a lot of self-work, a lot of personal growth, meditation, looking at how I can change, understanding neuroscience. I'm not saying you have to go do all these things. It could just be as simple as ask yourself the question, what do you want? If I look at a thirst trap, how does it make me feel about myself? If it doesn't make you feel anything positive or negative, it's entirely neutral. And if it's just a fantasy, like, oh, wow, that's really nice. Boy, he is just... A stunning looking man. How fortunate is he that he looks like that? That's just recognizing abundance in the universe. Sometimes looking at a thirst trap could be the inspiration that someone actually needs to get in better shape or to take more care of their body. But that's just a framing of one's mindset. They may look at themselves and recognize. In order to get a body like that person has, I'd have to be 20 years younger, 
and I'd also need to commit five days a week to working out and I need to do all these things around grocery shopping and cooking. So it's like, well, I know what my choices are first. I know what my goals are. I know the amount of time that I have. So I know that I can work on my health and I can keep looking to this just as inspiration, knowing that I'm not going to achieve that particular picture. But it's just something to aspire to, even if you know that's not the end goal. As always, thank you for listening and live out and live proud.